Good morning. I'm Joe Collins. Happy New Year. Today we are uh, starting off a new series for the year entitled Hashtag Jesus Worth Following. I hope that this series isn't only just a series that we do for the year of 2016 in Simi Church, but that it becomes a theme for our entire year. You know, I heard a story about a man who uh, wanted to go traveling. He grew up and lived his entire life in England. He had never gone anywhere. And he finally saved up the money and, 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 and as an older man and went on a trip, uh, a trip of a lifetime. And he always wanted to go down to Spain. And so he saved his money, he packed his bags, he got the tickets, and uh, kissed his wife and kids goodbye, and he headed out on his trip to Spain, the trip of a lifetime. When he got there, he decided that he should uh, email his wife and, and let her know that, that everything was okay, and, and, and so he sent her an email, but when he typed her name in the email address bar, he made a typo, and instead of typing Joan Foster, he accidentally typed in Jean Foster, and didn't realize it left her a quick note, hit send, and sent it off. Now, it just so happened that Gene Foster uh, had, a, had, had an email address with the same uh, 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 address on the end of it. And so his email actually went to a real person, and this Gene Foster happened to be recently widowed. In fact, her husband was a minister. And, and you could imagine her surprise when she sat down and opened up her email and uh, opened up uh, and, and clicked on the, on the email that she received and noticed that it was from her husband. It said, Dear Wife. But before she read too much else, she, she had such a, a, a chill come over her and she, she literally fainted. And the reason she fainted was because the email read, Dear Wife, arrived safely but it's awfully hot down here. You know, the idea of hashtag Jesus is to follow him. And, and I hope that as a church and as individuals here in, in, Simi, in, in, in Simi Valley, we become the kind of people who are known for our following of Jesus. That that is, that is who we are, that we follow him. And we follow him where he went. And that's exactly what I want to do with this series. I don't know how long the series is going to go, because what I want to do is I want to follow Jesus, not you know, literally in the scriptures where he went from place to place. Now, I've decided to use the book of Mark, mainly because the book of Mark is one of the more straightforward and direct of the Gospels. You know, all the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wrote their account of the life and times of Jesus Christ. Yet they were all different men, and they had different perspectives. Two of them were actually followers of Jesus Christ, Matthew and John. Matthew wrote his gospel primarily for his fellow Jews. He, he included a lot of Old Testament passages, and, and his gospel was, was in, intended to be written to them. John, on the other hand, wrote his gospel from the perspective of the, of, of the deity of Jesus. He, he really saw the majesty and the glory of Jesus. Now, Luke was a physician. He was not a direct follower of Jesus Christ, but but he set about interviewing firsthand uh, eyewitnesses, and he recorded their memories and their accounts, and, and, and that's his gospel. And he, he has the most detailed of all the gospels. And then we get to Mark. Mark was a disciple of Peter, St. Peter, Jesus' right-hand man. 
And, and as a disciple of Peter, he heard over the years the stories from Peter about the life and times of Jesus Christ. And, and eventually Mark recorded them. Now, Peter being a fisherman, he was a real salt-of-the-earth kind of a guy. And so we get in the Gospel of Mark a very direct, very pragmatic, very salt-of-the-earth view of Jesus Christ. And so, and so what I'm trying to do in this series, what I hope we can accomplish, is I hope that we can take the book of Mark and we can follow, literally, Jesus from place to place. And in doing so, there's going to be things we can learn and apply to our lives. Now, a couple things that uh, I, I want to put before you. You know, when you think about the Gospel of Mark and you think about how pragmatic and, and direct he is, you know, there's a, there's a thought there for us. I think, I think we as, as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, could learn a lot from that approach. I think maybe we as a church could be more direct. We could be more pragmatic. We could be more salt-of-the-earth kind of people to the community around us. I think that's just a great take-home for, for us, that, that right off the bat, before I even get started, maybe we ought to think in, in terms of this in our daily lives. Let's just be more down-to-earth and more direct with people. Just a thought. But before we continue, before I go on with the message, there's a few ground rules that I want to lay out, because in this series, there's going to be a lot of teaching. And, and, and I don't want to become overly teaching in the series, but, but because I am going to do some teaching from the Gospel, it's important that we have some parameters and, and some background for that teaching so that, so that we really get the most out of it. And one of the first things I want to put before us, one of the first ground rules, is that when we ever, when, whenever we study a gospel, which is, by the way, a unique literary style, a gospel written by, you know, um, invented by the four writers of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, it's important for us to realize that all four of the gospels basically tell us the same story. As a matter of fact, they cover almost all the same material. There's, there's some discrepancies, there's some differences between Gospels, but, but even then they're, they're very minor and, and there's not that many because the Gospels basically tell the life story of Christ from beginning to the middle to the end. And they basically all agree in the overall story. However, there are differences among the Gospels. As I said before, each of the authors had a different take. They had a different perspective. And so it's really important to know that as we go through the Gospel of Mark, that not everything's going to be in chronological order. You see, the Gospels, all of them, are partially chronological, but they're also partially thematic. And so there's going to be times where we're going to follow a chronology, but then there's going to be times where it's going to seem like we're, we're, we're kind of off the chronology and we're into sort of various themes. And, and if you ever study all the Gospels together, most of them fit each other quite nicely in terms of their chronology, but in a few cases, it seems like the chronology is off from gospel to gospel. And the reason for that is because from time to time, the gospel writers would go off into themes. You know, this happens uh, you know, in, in, in life today. This is not anything unusual. I know as a kid, I used to sit around the dinner table listening to the older people in the family talk, and they would get to talk in stories, and maybe they would start to talk about a relative, Uncle So-and-so. And there they would, they would begin telling a story about Uncle So-and-so, and then someone else would chime in, and someone else would chime in, and the stories didn't necessarily follow any specific order. They weren't in chronological order. It was just the theme. That was the theme we were on, Uncle So-and-so. Well, the gospel writers sort of do that. They begin... And, and they begin to tell the life of Jesus, and they sort of follow him from place to place. 
but but there's times where they sort of group thoughts together, just like you and I would sitting around the table, uh, shooting the breeze and, and, and talking about uh, whatever subject. So it's important for us to understand that the Gospels all agree in their overall view and their overall chronology, but there are differences, and mostly those differences are, are happen because we, we get partial chronology and we get partial thematic uh, um, uh, parts of the, of the Gospels. So with that, uh, turn over to Mark chapter nine, I mean chapter one. We're going to start in verse nine. Let's pray before we read. Father, it is great to be together. Thank you for a new year and a new start. We pray now that your spirit is with us and that you speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter one, verse nine. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, if, if we're going to follow Jesus in our series, if we're going to go from place to place as he went from place to place, it's going to be helpful for us to have some sort of visual representation of his movements. And so on the screen here, I have a map. And, and this first map I want you to see is just kind of a topographical map. In other words, it, it, it's, it's just sort of looking down at the land of Palestine from the sky view. It's, it's simple, it's simplistic, it's just lines and, and drawings. It shows the various cities, some of the key cities. And then there's some dotted areas. Those are regions or provinces. Up in the north there you have Galilee. Down in the south you have Judea. Over on the right side of the map there's the Decapolis and so on. So we have these various provinces that Jesus had traveled through and, 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 and interacted in. But then we also have specific cities. We also have at the top there, you see the Sea of Galilee, and you see the river, the Jordan River, traveling down into um, the Dead Sea. And so we're going to use this map a lot because this map gives us kind of a, 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 an easy way to visualize Jesus's uh, movements. There's another map, though, I want you to see that we'll use from time to time, and it's a, it's a topographical map, and here it is on the screen. And this shows more the terrain. You get a sense of elevation and, and, and uh, changes, mountainous areas, flat areas. And if you notice, you'll notice that this area of Palestine where Jesus spent almost his entire life, in fact, he spent his entire life in this area represented on this map, with the, with the exception of a short journey to, to Egypt when he was very, very young, and a short journey up north into the area of Tyre and Sidon, which are just off the map. With the exception of that, Jesus spent his entire life in this area, uh, an area of about 120 by about 40 miles, 120 miles long by about 40 miles wide or so. But I want you to notice that it was a very hilly area in places. There were some plains. There was some significant elevation changes. In fact, look here. Look here around the city of Jerusalem. You'll notice that it's up on the hills, and, and if you want to go down to the Jordan River from Jerusalem, there's about a 4,000-foot drop in elevation in a relatively short amount of time. And so to go from Jerusalem to the Jordan River was a bit of a hike, and then to come back was even more of a hike. Not only that, but when you go from the, the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on planet Earth, it's about 1,300 feet below sea level, and you travel up the Jordan River Valley, up into the Sea of Galilee, there's another significant elevation change. And so this gives us an idea that, uh, of, of the movements of Christ, that not everything was simple and in a straight line. There were mountain passes, there were valleys, there were uh, landmarks, natural uh, land, land obstructions that they had to deal with when they, when they traveled around. You'll also notice on the topographical map that there's a, 
a yellow line. That, is, that line represents an ancient road that was there centuries even before Christ called the Via Maris or the Way of the Sea. And we're going we're gonna to get into that in later lessons. But that was just the main thoroughfare for travelers going from east to west and west to east. So Mark 1 verse 9 starts off and he says, At that time, let's see here, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. I want you to notice that, that Mark doesn't give us a specific start date. He just says at that time. It's one of those vague, general, uh, introductory phrases uh, with no specifics. But what we know from the other Gospels, and I will from time to time reference other Gospel writers to help us piece the story together, and other sources as well. What we know from other Gospel writers, and even from his history itself, is that this was probably about 27, 28 A.D. when Jesus began his trip from, from uh, Nazareth, about 80 miles south down to the, to the River Jordan, down, near, uh, down in Judea. And uh, Jesus was probably about 30 years old. And so this is how Mark begins his gospel. He just tells us there came a point in time in Jesus who spent his, most of his life up in Galilee, especially in the, in the city of Nazareth where he's raised. And at some point when he's about 30 years old, right around 20, 27, 28 A.D., he decided to leave, and he went down to go see John. Now, we know John is John the Baptist, but, but why? Why was it important? Why did Jesus decide at this point in time to go see John? Why John? And, 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 and next, why be baptized? Well, let's back up and start in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. From his birth, John the Baptist was special. In fact, people around his, you know, who were, who were around at the time knew that John the Baptist was special. Born somewhere around 5 B.C., his father, Zebedee, was a descendant of Aaron, part of the priestly class in Israel. In fact, he served as a priest at the temple in Jerusalem. His mother, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, part of the priestly clan of the, of the people of Israel. And, and she was a relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, both uh, Zechariah and Mary were very righteous. They were very pious people. And one day while Zechariah was working at the temple, he went in to offer incense. He was visited by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel told him that he would have a son who would be great in the sight of the Lord. Now when he came out, oh, and, and the angel told him to name him John. Now when he came out, Everyone who saw him, I don't know what he looked like. I don't, I don't know if there was something different about his physical appearance, but it was apparent to everyone when he came out that something had happened when he was in the temple, that he was visited by something. There was just something in his demeanor, in his presence. And of course, he couldn't speak. The angel wouldn't let him speak. 
And so John, you know, here we have in, in Mark, uh, you know, in, in the Gospels are recorded the first account of the game of charades. The only way Zachariah could communicate to the fellow priests about what had happened was through hand gestures and charades. And so they get the general gist that something amazing had happened. And for the next, and, and then when John went, home, when Zachariah went home, uh, his wife shortly thereafter became pregnant. Now this was amazing because both Zachariah and, and, and Elizabeth were too old to get pregnant or well beyond childbearing age. And so people were talking, what is going on here? Something amazing has happened. Not only that, when it finally came time for, for Elizabeth to give birth, uh, she, she gave birth to uh, 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 John, and uh, gave birth, and she decided to name the child John. But the people around her were a bit were taken back by that because that wasn't there was no family in, anybody in her family named John. And so when they were all debating it, they looked at Zachariah and said, "What are we going to name him?" And he had to write down, scribble out on something, "His name is John." And just then he could start talking again. And and so right from John's very birth. There was a lot of, of amazing things that occurred, and people were wondering. In fact, the people said there, what's going to come of this kid? What, what is this kid going to do? What amazing things are going to come out of this kid? Now, the Gospels tell us that John was raised in, in the hills of Judea, or the wilderness of Judea, and that's this region here, if you look on the map, uh, down sort of between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea, this area here. It's a very wild, a very rough area. It's an, it's an untamed, the, world, the, the, uh, the word wilderness, it's, it was an untamed area. This is where John grew up. As a matter of fact, this was the same area where the Qumran sect of Israelites lived. Now, you may know that name from the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, it was, it was the Jews in Qumran who were the scribes there who were copying manuscripts, the ancient manuscripts of the Old Testament books, and they were... Um, and they sealed them up in jars and hid them in caves. And in 1948, they were discovered. And my wife and I, you know, the, the, uh, recently went down to the museum and, and got a chance to see the, the Dead Sea Scrolls tour down there at the Natural History Museum. And it was fascinating. It was amazing to look into, the, in, into these little uh, glass windows and see the, the actual manuscripts there, the fra fragments and pieces that we have, some of them. And you could see the handwritten characters on the paper. And it was amazing to think some of them were actually written in the first century, some, some long before and some after, but many right there in the first century. It was amazing to think that that scribe, that, uh, 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 on, that, on that piece of papyrus or whatever it was that, that it wrote on that may have known John and maybe certainly, and probably certainly knew, at least knew who he was. It's pretty incredible to think about that. But this is where John grew up and this is where he lived. And at some point in his life, he began preaching. He just sort of one day stepped out of the wilderness and started preaching. And John was so powerful. His messages were so compelling because he preached about righteousness and he preached about repentance and forgiveness. And, and he preached a lot about one who would come after him that was greater than him. He was so compelling and so powerful that literally thousands of people came to him. In fact, the text says that they, that they, that they went out to him and the phrase there went out is in the I think it's in the ongoing tense, or the present perfect tense, which means it's, oh, it, was, it was continually happening. In other words, people kept coming to him. They just coming, kept coming and coming by the thousands from all over the area of Judea, not just, not just near John, but the whole area. And there was, a, there was a, 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 an incredible revival going on as a result of John's preaching. I'm going to play a little game here. Uh, and, and, and I don't want you to talk. 
So please don't b blurt out the answer. You're just gonna you're gonna answer my question by showing by a show of hands. But but we're gonna find out who here you know how old the audience is. So <clears throat> I I can tell how old you are or you know by asking you this one question again. Don't blurt the answer out. Just raise your hand. If you can fill in the blank to this statement, I'm gonna know how old you are. Ready? Okay. Here's this here's the statement. When E. F. Hutton talks, people. Right, I can look at the audience here, and there's quite a few of you. A lot of you, about I know you're about my age, right? We know this commercial, right? We know what the right answer is. What is it? Listen, that's right. When, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. You know, that's the way John the Baptist was. When he spoke, people listened. He literally was the E.F. Hutton of Israel in his time. But you know, one of the things that made John so powerful beyond the message of repentance and beyond the message of forgiveness and, and baptism, what, one of the things that made him so powerful was his message about the Messiah. He kept talking about one that would come after him. And somewhere in his experience, God had given him a vision and told him that he would be the one who would identify the Messiah, the chosen one. In, in, in Israel's history, in the Jewish tradition, there was always this belief that a Messiah would come and, it would re and, and he would rescue all of Israel from their troubles, even greater than Moses, who, who saved them out of slavery in Egypt, even greater than David, who turned them into a great and powerful nation and secured the promised land, that this, this would be a Messiah who was even greater than them. As a matter of fact, some people thought it was John. And even religious leaders from the temple in Jerusalem came to interview John to find out if it was him. And John, John was clear that it wasn't him, that it would be someone who would come after him, and that person would be great. You know, what's, what's interesting to me is, 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 is that this part of the message is what really pulled, pulled people into John. It's what, it's what really made John so powerful. Because John wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about God. He was talking about something greater than himself and, and, and what God would do. You know, I think as people, if we could learn this lesson, if we could stop talking about things that are unimportant, things like ourselves, if we could stop talking about ourselves and start talking about God, we might find out that we could become influential too. Maybe not like John, maybe not thousands, but certainly our kids, certainly our, our friends, certainly our family, certainly our neighbors, our coworkers, our neighborhoods would begin listening to us if we would stop talking about unimportant things like ourselves, and we began talking about what was really important about God and what God's doing. Just a thought to take away, that you and I could be a little bit like John. I think we could be a little bit more like John if we would only begin talking about things that are important, talking about what God's doing. Verse, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven open, being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. So now we talked about why John, because he was the E.F. Hutton of Israel, uh, and, 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 and that's why Jesus went there. But why be baptized? What was the importance of being baptized? Now, I told you before that John, at some point in his life, had been given a sign from God that, that, you know, that as he was baptizing people, there would be one person that he would baptize, and he would see the Spirit of God come descend on that person and remain on him, and that would be the Messiah. And so, part of John's mission was to identify, was to find this Messiah. Now, Jesus 
when he comes to see John and, is, and, and, find, and ultimately baptized by John, he sees the sign. The heavens tear open, according to Peter, and, and the angel descended like a dove and remained on him. John got his sign. Imagine the surprise that John must have had when, when Jesus came out of the water and this incredible event occurred. Imagine of the thousands of people that John was baptizing, finally, here was the one. The one that, would, that was greater than him. Now, What's interesting to note, as I said before, is that Mary and Elizabeth, John's mom, Mary the mother of Jesus and Elizabeth the mother of John, were actually relatives. That makes John and Jesus relatives. And it's very possible that John and Jesus knew each other growing up. Now, they lived in completely different parts of Palestine. Jesus was up in the north in Galilee. John grew up down here in the east in, in Judea. But it was custom, it was, it was commanded by God for every Jewish uh, male to travel to Jerusalem three times a year down in Judea and worship at the temple. And so it's very probable that when Jesus would make this journey growing up throughout his life, that he would probably stop and, and visit with his relatives and, and stop in. And, and so John and Jesus probably had some sort of relationship. They probably knew each other to some degree. To how, how much they knew each other is unclear. But, but I think it's very probable that they probably knew each other. He's like one of those cousins that you would see periodically uh, growing up. But what's interesting is that John already knew something special, that there was something special about Jesus. You know, in fact, uh, the other Gospels tell us that when John first saw Jesus, he said, I can't baptize you, you're going to have to baptize me. Now, this is, this is quite something when you think about it. You have John down here in, in Judea, who, who was renowned throughout the area from the time he was born as someone special. I mean, he was a five-star recruit down there. In, in Judea. And then you had Jesus up in, in Galilee, who also had all kinds of amazing stories of, uh, surrounding his birth and, and events. And people wondered about uh, what kind of person he would be. And you had the five-star recruit up there in, in Galilee. And here we are, they're together in the same place, down by the Jordan River. The two stars of Israel, the two five-star recruits, the up-and-comers in Israel were here, and they were talking to each other, and they interacted with each other. And, and you can clearly see that John had a very high, res and, and we know that John had a very high respect for Jesus because he didn't want to baptize Jesus. In fact, he said to him, man, you, you should be baptizing me. Now, I don't know if John knew that Jesus was the Messiah at this point, but I do know, do know this. He knew that Jesus was something special, and he didn't necessarily think that Jesus should be baptized. You know, when Jesus came to John's ministry, one of the things that he was doing by showing up there to be baptized by John was endorsing John. He was giving John his vote of approval by joining John's ministry, so to speak. But, you know, I think there was another reason why Jesus came to Judea and into the Jordan to see John, and it was to also get John's endorsement of him. You see, John was the E.F. Hutton of his day. People, when he talked, people listened. Jesus at this time was a nobody, and from a human perspective, nobody was going to give Jesus much credibility. I mean, he was, he was definitely an up-and-comer up, and comer up in, in, in Galilee, but, but it was easy to dismiss that because, man, what good came out of Galilee, right? I mean, it wasn't known for its, its great uh, uh, people that were coming out of there. <clears throat> and so Jesus needed John's endorsement. He needed the, John to, to acknowledge that, that Jesus... Uh, was, 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 was someone important, someone significant, someone that should be listened to. And as a matter of fact, that's what John did. John did tell his own disciples to follow Jesus. He said, there's the one. 
And, and many of John's disciples, in fact, many of Jesus' early disciples were formerly disciples of John that, that, that began following Jesus at John's urging. So Jesus needed John's endorsement to get his ministry up and running. But there was something else that was important about Jesus being baptized by John. Matthew tells us that when, when John objected and said, no, you should baptize me, Jesus said, no, you need to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. Now that phrase means a lot of things, but one of the things it meant was that it was, it was, it was God's will for John to baptize Jesus. And so John submitted, and so did Jesus, and Jesus was baptized. Now as God... Jesus didn't need to be baptized. There was no sin that he needed to be forgiven of. There were no sins that he needed to repent of. But it was nonetheless important that as Jesus the man, he, he was baptized because he needed to show his followers and the people there around him that he was willing to submit himself to God's will. And you know, that's what baptism is, is, is all about. Uh, among many things, one of the things baptism is about is submitting to God. We here at Simi Church believe in baptism. Let me take that back. We don't believe in baptism, but we baptize. We believe it's important. And one of the reasons why is because it is an act of submission to the will of God. Not only that, but it's also, as John put it, where we repent of our sin and where we're forgiven of our sin. And so baptism is an incredibly important uh, uh, um, act, action that any follower of, of God should take than any believer should do. And there are some in the audience here that haven't gotten baptized. And let me beg you, let me implore you, get baptized. I don't know what you're waiting for, but if, you're, if, you, if you keep standing at a distance, what you're really saying at some point is I'm not willing to submit to God. And yet baptism is an important thing to, 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 to do because it's an act of submission to God, among other things like an act of repentance and a, and a, and a, and a, and a way to receive forgiveness. And so if, you, if you've been thinking about getting baptized and you've been waiting, don't wait any longer. Make the decision and get baptized. So Jesus comes to John, and, and, and in a sense he's endorsing John, but really he's looking for John's endorsement. But then something else is really, really significant here in this, in this passage. And it's something that we've we got to talk about. And that is that Jesus' baptism not only was, was to, to receive John's blessing, his endorsement, but it was also a point where he revealed his divinity. I mean, when the people were there, the people that witnessed the baptism saw something incredible. They saw the heavens tear open. They saw the Spirit descend and, and remain on Jesus. They heard the voice of God say, This is my Son whom I love. It was very clear that Jesus was more than just another prophet, more than just a five-star recruit. There was something much more important about Jesus, much more special, something much greater about Jesus than, 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 than even John could, could hope to be. I mean, John himself said, I wasn't even, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And that was that he was God. Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan revealed his divinity. He was God. You know, when we are baptized, not only are we submitting ourselves to the will of God, but, it, but, it, but we're also sort of continuing John's ministry of, of repentance and forgiveness of sins. But, but also we are acknowledging, we are being acknowledged as sons of God. 
Now I say sons and daughters with a small s and a small d because we're not divine as humans. We're just human. But when we're baptized, we are becoming sons and daughters, small s, small d, of God. Just like Jesus, when he was baptized, was, was acknowledged as being a son, or the son, capital S, of God. And so his baptism revealed his divinity. Now let's read on in verse 12 and 13. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Now there was something else about Jesus' baptism that was significant. And that was that it also revealed his humanity. And so now I'm going to tell you a very deep and, and, and important theological concept. Jesus is both 100% God and at the same time 100% human. And as a man, as a human, he needed to be baptized, as I said, to fulfill all righteousness, to submit to the will of God, to show his followers what it looks like to, to repent and to be forgiven. And that's, I think, why Mark says immediately after his baptism, Jesus went off into the wilderness to be tempted. Because what Mark is really wanting us to see here is that Jesus was 100% human. And that meant that he experienced things just like you and I experience things. Not just once, not just three times out in the desert, but throughout his life, he experienced what we experience as people. He knew what it was like to be sick and hungry and tired and thirsty, and he knew what it was like to be tempted. What's interesting is that he knows what it's like to be us, 100%, but we only know what it's like to be him half, because we understand and can relate to him in his human nature, but we don't understand what it's like to be God. But because he's both God and man, 100%, he understands what it's like to be us, to be you. You know, if anyone here has ever lost a, a, a parent, you, uh, you know what that's like. And I remember when I went through that and I lost my dad, that, that uh, I appreciated all the love and support people gave me, but there were some people that I really felt drawn to, and it was the people who had gone through something similar. They had lost a parent. And one guy in particular, Ron Quint, who's our senior minister, a part of our, our, our church uh, in, in the San Fernando Valley, he really became uh, someone I was drawn to. I really, I really felt close to him because he'd lost his father when he was young. But he, there was something about him that, that just told me he understood. It drew me towards him. Because he, he understood. Now, I want to I make this the, the, the thing I want you to take home. The thing that I want you to think about more than anything else. The thing that I want to put before you as, as, uh, uh, as the takeaway from this message. Among all the things that we've talked about, Jesus needing to be endorsed by John, Jesus revealing his divinity, Jesus revealing his humanity, the thing I want you to hear is that Jesus knows what it's like to be you. And I believe one of the main reasons why Jesus went from Nazareth, he journeyed that 80 miles 
down into Judea to the Jordan to be baptized by John was to tell you and I that he knows what it's like to be us and to bring us closer to him. It was to draw us near to him. That, I think, is the most important takeaway from Jesus' trip to the Jordan. Jesus wants us to come closer to him. He wants us to draw near him. You know, I hope as we continue this series that that is one of the outcomes, that that we really enjoy following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, going from place to place with Him. And I hope, you know, as we learn many different things, I hope one of the things that we always take with us, and one of the things we take away is this, just this, this desire to know Him, to be close to Him, to, 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 to draw near to Him. Because I think that's what He wants. I think that's what He's asking. I think that's what this was all about. It's why He left heaven and came to earth, so that we could draw near to Him. You see, we, we don't know what it's like to be him, but he knows what it's like to be us. You know, I started off my message with a little story there about uh, Gene Foster. And, you know, uh, um, you know it, it, was a, it was a comical story. And the, and the idea there was just, to, was just to help us understand that sometimes when we travel, things can happen, right? We can find ourselves in funny circumstances. And, and, and that's going to happen as we, as we continue our series. But one of the things that I think uh, 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 our lesson here is, is, is teaching us is that Jesus doesn't want us to end up where Jean thought her husband had ended up. You see, he doesn't want us to end up in a very hot place. He wants to take us to some great places. He wants to do great things with us. And yeah, there's going to be ups and downs and challenges, but at the end of the day, he wants us to end up with him. And as we, uh, and as we go through the study, let's, let's, not, let's not forget that. And at this time, we're going to prepare ourselves to take communion. Communion is a time to remember the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a time to remember that by doing that, He forgave us of our sins so that we could be close to Him. And we wouldn't go to that hot place, but that we would be in a blessed place with Him. So in a minute, the ushers are going to come out. We're going to collect. We're, we're going to pass out the, uh, the trays. And uh, I'm going to say a prayer here, and we're going to take communion together, and then we'll close out our service afterwards. Thank you.